This is Alex Pearson. If we can get the positive side of this and move things forward, it will, you know, you know that these people didn't lose their lives for nothing. It's, it's going to, if it makes a positive change that's nationwide, it will be, it'll be appreciated, I know, by families. Alex Pearson with you on this Friday, March 31st, and we will talk about those Nova Scotia families because they are at the root of what is the uh, latest failure of this country. Great to have you here on this Friday. It has been one of those weeks where uh, we do have too much to talk about. It's been a crazy, crazy news week. Even today, looking at the news, it just keeps breaking and breaking and breaking. Uh, so we'll be talking about it. We certainly uh, have to talk about this uh, Rogers deal uh, because now they own my company. Big implications here. Big. So we will talk about them as we parse through some of the details. Also, just learning, as you heard in the news, Aaron O'Toole is stepping aside. I have a lot to say about Aaron O'Toole. I like Mr. O'Toole. I think he's a good guy. Um, but we're going to talk about that because I think it's a loss to the party. And uh, I don't know if I didn't see it coming or did. I'm not surprised. I, I am, I'm sad to see him go, though. So we will get more details on that and um, and talk about that. But I do want to talk about what we learned in this report Thursday, because I know it's a report that the government would love to go away, the RCMP would love to go away. We have to talk about it because it's, uh, the report is, uh, it's, it's disgusting what we learned, but not surprising. And, you know, 22 people were murdered essentially because the RCMP didn't do its job. I mean, that's the dumbed down version of it. But, you know, Brenda Lucky was a disaster as a commissioner. I mean, is anyone going to get held to account? Absolutely not a chance. Not in this country. In fact, a lot of the people involved in this utter gong show have either gone into other jobs in the police force or they're now into retirement. And that includes the former Commissioner Lucky, who uh, retired days. I'm talking days, March 17th. She knew this report was coming. I mean, there's no way she was sticking around for what should be a a well-deserved spanking. And, you know, instead, um, she passed this flaming bag of dog poop off to her, uh, her colleagues to deal with. And this uh, report, which is about 3,000 pages, based off evidence from this seven-month inquiry, and it, and it reveals, you know, the force was completely unprepared to deal with this event, that for 13 hours, it was chaos and confusion. Police didn't know where to go. They didn't know who they were looking for. They didn't bother to issue an amber emergency alert, which deprived locals of a chance to protect themselves. And the confusion, as we all remember, lasted for hours, not just during it, but then after it. The, the families, the locals, all left in the dark for just hours. The report confirms uh, police ignored witnesses telling them that the gunman was seen wearing a, a police uniform and driving a police car. I mean, they just ignored it. They ignored multiple warnings of the gunman's violent and illegal actions that locals had been bringing them and was well known apparently for years. I mean... They were condemned for failing to act on the known abuse of the gunman's longtime girlfriend, Lisa Banfield, who, of course, the shooter was hunting down to kill and she was hiding in the woods. And instead, she ended up getting charged with a crime. And her lawyer read a letter on behalf of her for this report and um, doesn't really spare a lot of words. What happened to Miss Banfield, the way she was treated in the aftermath of this massacre, which began as an assault against her, is disgraceful. But this report is the first step to preventing that from ever happening again. The report, it it just goes on and on. 
it's, it, it doesn't end with the failures of abandoning families of those killed, failure of supporting the families in, in the hours, days after, and then to cap it all off. I mean, as if we should be surprised. In the almost three years since those people were slaughtered, our national police force has done nothing, nothing to fix anything. And neither Bill Blair or Marco Mendicino, no, no one bothered to ask them, hey, guys, yeah, I'm making some changes. I know it's been three years, but uh, getting around to it? No, nothing, just sitting around. I mean, you think about that. Brenda Lucky did nothing. She did nothing to fix what she and the others knew was broken. So she sat on her butt and did nothing to fix this very dysfunctional police force, which is supposed to protect our country's national security. I mean, this is who the prime minister hired to protect our nation. Like, they're tasked with investigating things like, oh, yeah, foreign interference, uh, foreign threats. And, you know, 22 people were killed that day. And it comes down to the incompetence and failed leadership of a commissioner who was clearly, I think, more worried about keeping her bosses happy instead of fixing the force. Because if you're not prepared as a national police force in the year of 2020, 2021, not to, to deal with this... When you know you had the guidelines and other attacks like the 2014 attack on Parliament Hill, you, you don't know. If you haven't got a plan in, the, in place for these big mass casualty events in, in 2021, then like, why, why are you our national police force? It's, it's insane to me. So they put all these recommendations out, you know, including telling the province of Nova, Nova Scotia, maybe you want to rethink your contract with this force uh, of rural policing next time around. They've got to do basic training for communications, like there's a gunman loose, hide. They have to be trained to say that, apparently. Uh, 911 operators need to be trained so that they can uh, communicate the danger to the front lines. That's always a good idea. Uh, and also to be able to tell those calling in, terrified, what to do. Of course, they need domestic abuse training, because in 2023, they still don't know what to do. I mean, honestly, they, they missed all these signs of danger. People are bringing them. The other recommendation I got a chuckle out of was uh, that the government should pass a law so that the ministers of public safety can't interfere with police investigations. <laughs> In 2023, we need a new law to make sure that the uh, politicians don't tell and interfere with the police to, do, uh, to push their agenda. Because remember, Bill Blair, who was then the safety minister, had denied these allegations that he was interfering in the investigation by pressuring Lucky to tell him about the guns that the killer used because they were trying to push this new gun law. And they both denied it. The, the report said there was no interference. But she, she, she screamed at her staff that she had to have the name uh, of the gun. And then, um, and Justin Trudeau, he was there yesterday in Nova Scotia. And uh, came out, this was his breathiest, most concerned thought. This is what he said. We will take the time now to properly digest and understand the recommendations and the conclusions and the um, opportunities that the Commission has put forward for us to take up. There's no question there need to be changes, and there will be, but we will take the time to get those right. Another three years? Four years? Yeah, let's take your time. I mean, look, we shouldn't have to digest any of this incompetence. We've had no answers. We've had zero action to fix what everyone knew was broken. 22 people were killed in this country because of incompetence. Incompetence of Lucky, who was hired by that guy. So people should be fired. People should be held to account. 
and yet Lucky's off enjoying retirement somewhere. Other top brass have moved on, some promoted. The interim commissioner who was talking to the media yesterday hadn't even read the report yet. I mean, I've asked this a lot. Who gets held to account in this country? And why, why would we trust anybody? I mean, we've talked about this all week long. We talk about it a lot of broken institutions, whether it's our court systems. You know, now it's the national police force, which, you know, is supposed to protect us. And then, you know, we, we've been talking about, you know, bail issues. There are a lot of our government institutions that are really broken. If I'm a terrorist looking at this country, I'm going, what are we waiting for? <laughs> They're a joke. They don't even try. We're just not prepared in any for, you know, kind of way. So we'll kick the conversation off with this because I, I think it's worth asking. Um, do you think the RCMP can be fixed or do they have to just completely implode it? And I'm not going to malign every officer on that force because there's some good ones, but this isn't the first problem. And, and you can't have a report saying that they know there are issues to fix, but they refuse to fix them. Like, maybe they can't fix them. Clearly, they can't fix them. And I don't trust who will be appointed to uh, run the show next, because clearly it's so political. side of this and move things forward it will you know you know that these people didn't lose their lives for nothing it's it's gonna if it makes a positive change that's nationwide it will be it'll be appreciated i know by families certainly long overdue that is one of the family members of the 22 people massacred in that uh, nova scotia mass shooting so they want changes and um, they want the changes based off the seven-month inquiry, which released its findings on Thursday and spared no words for the RCMP condemning them, saying the force was just completely unprepared to deal with mass casualty events. You know, they didn't know what to do or where to go. They didn't know who they were looking for, didn't issue an emergency alert, and um, ignored witness reports telling them the gunman's dressed as a cop and has a cop car. Um, but they also ignored multiple warnings of the gunman's violence and, and illegal actions through the years and ignored domestic issues brought forward about the girlfriend that he was uh, hunting to kill that night and would go on to be charged. And to cap it all off, I mean, it's a 3,000-page report, but to cap it all off, and as if we should be surprised at all, in the almost three years since this mass shooting, the force, of course, has done next to nothing to fix anything, any of it, Right. So let's bring in Paul Polango because he is one of the few investigative journalists left in this country. He has uh, covered this trial or this uh, sorry inquiry uh, from day one and, and all of this. And he's also authored a book called 22 Murders and has another one coming out on this particular uh, crime. Good of you to uh, join us, Paul. Good. Good to be here again, Alex. All right. So um, you listened to the report. You were there uh, dealing with it. Uh, you might still be there today. But what were your what were your findings? Were you surprised that it was as uh, direct or did you think it hit the right tone? Well, yeah, in some ways it did. I was surprised because if you went through the 76 days of hearings conducted last year, <clears throat> the commission basically skated around any controversy 
didn't really press anyone uh, on the RCMP uh, in the RCMP for evidence. Nobody was cross-examined. Uh, mm. Police officers were allowed to testify together so they could support each other's story. Um, and so there wasn't much hope that there'd be any criticism coming out. Um, and I was sort of uh, somewhat shocked that they actually nailed that part of it. Because, uh, you know, Alex, back in May 2020, when I first started writing about it, the first piece I wrote in McLean's magazine was uh, the Nova Scotia massacres uh, um, reflects everything that's wrong with the RCMP. Mm. And yeah. I went on from there and later, and a few weeks later wrote, it was an epic failure in policing. And I was called an armchair quarterback and... <laughs> Didn't know what I was talking about, and da 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 da. Just trying to sell newspapers, but I stuck to my guns, and they seem to have hundred uh, percent supported the position I took. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to kind of parse through on this thing. It's uh, three thousand pages, but you know, we should we should note that Brenda Lucky, who um, conveniently retired and walked out the door on uh, on the seventeenth of this month, you know, nowhere to be found. You know, she kind of just left this. Uh, you know, um, poop sandwich and, and left it for her colleagues to deal with. And like, what are they going to say? They got to wear this thing. But it, it's just like, who's going to be held to account? I mean, she's on retirement. She doesn't have to show up or say anything. You know, others have been, pr you know, promoted, but they haven't fixed anything in, 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 in the years that have gone out. No one's done anything. And I'm just like, what is wrong with this country? That's right. Nothing was done. And, you know, it's all fine and well for the commission to come along and, and create this sort of horrible picture of what the RCMP did because mm -hmm. you know if you look at their their point by point response it's basically the RCMP didn't do this didn't do that failed at this failed at that didn't do this should have done that there's not one thing where they say they did what they were supposed to do and it's a long mm -hmm. long you know it's 130 recommendations a lot of them have to do with those errors but what has happened in the interim even before the commission was that the key people at the top of the RCMP, like Lee Bergerman, Janice Gray, and others, were allowed to retire, were moved mm -hmm. out, were promoted. Uh, in fact, Lee Bergerman, the head of the RCMP in Nova Scotia at the time, she was given essentially a 21-gun salute on her retirement mm -hmm. by the Nova Scotia legislature for job mm -hmm. well done. Yeah. So that tells you what the thinking inside was. And then the, the other thing before we get to this is all parties at the provincial and federal level uh, made an agreement not to push this as an issue because they didn't want to uh, ostensibly to upset the families. But really what it was was to protect the RCMP. So you don't have the NDP, conservatives or liberals asking any questions in the provincial legislature or the House about this trying to dampen things down. And that's one of the reasons I went out of my way to write a book before the commission came out, laying out the evidence and, and describing this epic failure of policing. And it seems that they were at least felt compelled to uh, um, confirm that. So, yeah, no I, I, I love that. There's no accountability. Oh. 
No, of course not. There won't be unless there's civil action on that. And the prime minister goes out and gives his best sad face and uh, sad concerned voice. And nothing will change. I mean, he'll think about this. I mean, the last person I want to rebuild the RCMP is this this prime minister. Um, can it be rebuilt, though? I mean, look, they're going to look into this. I, you know, I don't know if they're going to get any of these recommendations. And I don't know, Paul, if you can actually have faith. I mean, this is the, the force that's supposed to protect our national security. But right now, like, do you think I want them investigating Chinese interference? I, you know, it is a gong show. But ha- what do you do with this? Do you, do you recreate it, rebuild it, just let the politicians figure it out and, and the top-level brass, um, you know, rebuild? Well, what they, traditionally what they do, and, and Mr. Trudeau has done I mean, I was face-to-face with him yesterday, and you're right, he was glum-looking. He, didn't look, he looked like he didn't want to be there. Oh, of course and not. Well, hold on, Paul, because after that he went out to play some music. He was on the stage with a uh, great big C uh, with a party uh, of Seamus uh, O'Regan there singing along with Sam. Like, of course he didn't want to be there. He wanted to be at a party with uh, Seamus O'Regan, but I digress. Yeah, I mean, I was doing a radio report. Uh, I stepped outside the hall to do a radio report in Halifax, and uh, Mr. Trudeau came walking out right towards me, and he was looking at me, I was looking at him, and I think I, I thought to myself as I was talking, I said, uh, I think he knows who I am because <laughs> wave didn't smile. He just had that frown on his face, and we sort of glanced at each other. And he passed by to go to the press conference. But getting back to your point, mm-hmm. Mr. Trudeau says, uh, "I'm going to look for the perfect person to run the RCMP," and he emphasized perfect. And knows. what this means is he's looking for someone, and he said this, uh, you know, with mm-hmm. an indigenous background, if that's going to fix it. As if that's going to fix it. The problem is that you have a vehicle, you know, the analogy is you have a vehicle that is basically falling apart, is not roadworthy. And it doesn't matter if you put Emerson Fittipaldi in the driver's seat, they're not going to make it work. So mm-hmm. the way to do this, the way to fix it is essentially what the commission says in previous reports have said. The, the force has to be torn down. Yeah. taken out of contract yeah. policing in the provinces outside of Ontario and Quebec, where they're essentially rent-a-cops to the provinces with no accountability. And, and, and an aside on that is, all of that's paid for and subsidized by the Ontario and Quebec taxpayers. You know, why are they paying for provincial and municipal policing in, uh, you know, in the provinces outside of Ontario and Quebec? And they have their own issues to deal with. And why aren't those provinces paying for their own policing? And being mm-hmm. accountable for it and holding those police accountable. It's a big issue. But Massive. none of that and is getting done. And then the last part is, like, if you take the RCMP out of those and make it a federal police force, then they can set up their own provincial and regional police forces in those provinces. And then you have other other forces set up that we need, desperately need, to, to investigate uh uh, uh, cyber crime and massive fraud and national security. The RCMP mm-hmm. does all that stuff and does it all badly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the big thing. I mean, I, who's going to look into the Chinese interference? Like, we just don't have it. All the systems are broken. So I really kind of am only half joking when I say after you finish this, because I know you've got another book you're going to be writing on this. I think you need to start doing the Chinese interference because there are so few of you who actually know the systems, know where to find anything and uh, can kind of hold the curtain back on the on the wizard. But Alex, I, you know, I, I wrote about this in my book in 2008, devoted two whole chapters explaining the Chinese interference at the time. Uh, um, yeah. Some of the same parties involved today were involved then. I was labeled mm-hmm. a conspiracy theory for, theorist for bringing it up. We talked about this before. And, you know, I could show that uh, then Prime Minister John Chrétien's son-in-law 
was running a giant project for a, for Power Corporation, uh, the Three Gorges da- Three Gorges Dam in China. That's one of the reasons why there was no investigation of what was going on then. And you know, I was poo pooed for all. Oh, you're not supposed to raise this. This is Canada. You're not supposed to say things like that about our leaders. Yeah. And that was there were facts, and that's what happens right across the media. Yeah, well, nonetheless, uh, we've got some big problems, and it's, I think, really frightening to a lot of people that they won't get solved. Uh, Paul, we will talk again. I appreciate your time on this. I know you've been pretty busy, but I always appreciate your outlook. And uh, certainly, well, any time on any of these issues, because, uh, you know, the the last point, I mean, if you look at one of the things in this report, why I sort of half-hearted look at this report in spite of all the headlines, at the end of the day, the commission sort of reveals its real, what it's really doing. And it says all policing in Canada should be brought under one sort of uh, um, uh, roof. An umbrella. And one umbrella. And who should run it? The RCMP. <laughs> no. Should be training no, no, all no, no, policemen. No, uh, no, no. no, no. This commission miss. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oy, oy, oy. Well, we'll talk again, Paul, but okay. uh, certainly appreciate it. Thank you. No problem, Alex. Thanks. Bye. That's uh, Paul Palango. He wrote the first book on this uh, called 22 Murders. He's going to be writing uh, another book on it because they asked him for one. But um, there you go. You've got the goods. We'll see what comes out of it other than nothing. The other – there's a bunch of big stories happening. The other thing that happened and it it, it got kind of ignored is that the uh, censorship bill C-11, now about a week away from becoming law because the uh, government shut down debate on this thing last night. They're not going to amend anything. So we'll talk about what this means. Can't say you weren't warned. I've talked about it for a few years now on this show. And uh, we'll talk about the implications. Michael Geist on the other side of this break here on 640 Toronto. important and we've been talking about it for a long long time on this show and now it is very close to being a reality the uh, censorship bill c11 now in uh, final stages of becoming a law so we're talking like a couple of weeks maybe even sooner this is going to be one of the most consequential laws we see passed in this country because while it's going to be spun as protecting canadian content and regulating streaming platforms the reality is it is giving the government control of what you see what you post what i post or won't be posting anymore um, and look, this is a bill that went through record amount of debate in the Senate. And there were record numbers of witnesses in the industry. The Trudeau government, um, you know, pushed back against that. And they shut down the debate on Thursday, rejecting all of the Senate recommendations, including one to protect content that we post online from regulation. So let me bring in the man who has been waving the most flags on this. He is Michael Geis, law professor over at U of T- uh, Ottawa and uh, knows all things in internet and e-commerce law. Great to have you, Michael. Well, thanks so much for having me. You have spent so much time covering this and putting this out there, and it's coming. Um, what are we looking at now? Like, this has got to go back to the Senate, but, you know, the bill as is, is, I think, um, a, a terrible, one of the worst laws we've seen in this country. Am I, am I you know, being too, too uh, harsh? 
Well, I think it's enormously problematic. I, I must admit, I think some of the characterizations that we've seen are are exaggerated. You know, this isn't China. Uh, this is not North Korea. Um, but it does have the potential to impact our ability to be heard. I think we get to post what we want to post. Um, and there isn't, a, I don't think there are implications in that regard. But part of expression is is the ability to be heard. And the fact that this legislation does still give the CRTC the power to treat content posts on YouTube videos, TikTok videos, mm -hmm. these kinds of things are all treated as programs that can be subject to certain regulations that is still in the bill. You know, the Senate was convinced that that was still in the bill and that there was a need for a fix. And I think discouragingly, it, it went back to the House, as you've said, the government took a look at that amendment, an amendment that I have to say mm -hmm. still met the, the objectives of the government. And they said, no, we're, we're going to reject that. And so you're right. It now does head back to the Senate for their approval of, of an, a bill of a bill that does adopt some of the Senate amendments, but the most important one uh, lies on the scrap heap. All right. And so um, wh how long does it take then for this to come into play? Because obviously the CRTC, which governs what I do and, and, and what media does and, and what you watch and stuff, how long will this take uh, before it actually comes in? Yeah, I think it's. I think we're still looking at a pretty long road. You know, so the the next immediate step is for Senate approval. They're off for a couple yeah. of weeks, so we're looking at mid-April. But um, it'll go back there, and and I think the expectation is that, notwithstanding the fact that the Senate did approve the changes, the government rejected some of those changes. That uh, in all likelihood, the Senate will still accept the the bill as it is now and and basically uh, admit defeat so to speak with respect to their proposed amendment the next step would actually be the government putting forward a policy direction to the crtc so they've tried right. to suggest you know don't worry about some of your concerns we're going to direct the crtc about what our key priorities are that's going to take a little bit of time then the crtc gets involved so nobody's seeing any big money or any big changes frankly for for quite a period of time well, that is good news. I mean, Pierre Polyeva says he'll toss this thing out, but, uh, it, it, you know, once it's, um, I guess, passed by the Senate, we'll start to see kind of some motion with um, the CRTC. What is it in your mind? Because they push back a lot. I mean, there were times during the testimony in the Senate where witnesses said they were being bullied by, by liberal uh, MPs trying to push this through. But what, why are they, why are they pushing this through and so desperate to get this through so fast with, uh, without debate? Well, you know, I, I think the big question really is why are they choosing to reject the Senate amendment, quite frankly? You know, right. I mean, there, you, I think we have a reasonable discussion as to how much is an appropriate debate and the like. Uh, you know, I think when you're in opposition, you don't like governments cutting off debate. Um, and so we've, you know, back when it was the Harper years, liberals didn't like it. Yeah. Now the shoe's on the other foot. But the most important question really is, you know, the Senate took on board both the evidence that they heard that there was an issue here and the government stated objectives about what they wanted to include and created what they've described as a surgical amendment, one that 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 ensures that the government's key priorities are still in place, but that there are some greater safeguards for the potential regulation of user content. And the fact that that was rejected, and frankly, the reasons that have been given are all over the place. Some some basically suggest, well, they want the power in the future potentially to regulate. Others say it's uh, it, these are loopholes, which is just plainly false. Others say, oh, there's nothing to see here. In fact, it, it's not regulated. But that's simply just not 
the the independent expert view on where things are at. And so I think the big question is, you know, why? Why, why on earth, if you were given a nice off-ramp that still allowed you to meet your objectives, did you continue to insist that, no, we're going to go ahead and maintain these powers? And and I fear that the answer isn't, uh, isn't one that's going to leave anybody with much comfort because it does suggest that the goal is to maintain some of these powers in the legislation, perhaps not to exercise them today or tomorrow, but they want to have those powers in place. Yeah. And if it's a government you like today, you might be fine with it. It's when it's a government you don't like tomorrow that you have to worry about. So, all right. Well, look, uh, you've done a ton of work on this. I know you're still working on other stuff. So I appreciate your time on this. Oh, thanks again for having me. That's Michael Geist, uh, professor of law over at U of uh, Ottawa, but also um, probably one of the smartest minds when it comes to internet and e-commerce law. So that is uh, coming. It is going to be consequential. I'm glad to uh, hear someone was saying it was like a week or two weeks that it would get motion. And then once it, then it has to go to the CRTC to figure out how they're going to do it. But uh, I'm glad to see we've got a bit of time uh, for this to happen. Uh, but I, I don't care what government you are. I, I just don't want anyone telling anybody what they can and cannot post. And then don't forget there's Bill C-18, which is the update to, to the Broadcast Act. And it's no better. It's no better. You know, they're already fighting with Facebook and Google and all the rest of it, but it is no better, certainly not for my business. Nonetheless, it's been a busy day, busy week. It's going to be busy from here on out. Don't forget, Monday we'll uh, be down live, City Hall. We'll see what that day brings us. I hope you have a terrific week and get a chance to kind of relax and check out and just live a little. Thank you to Heather Burden. Thank you to Corey Manuel. I'm Alex Pearson. Thank you so much for spending some time with me back on Monday with you. This is 640 Toronto.